All right, because the reason crowd, I'm here today once again, as always, in the cold, chilly vibe of the blockhouse with Kelly. How's it going today, Kelly? I'm very sleepy and I have a headache and I'm cold. Yeah. How are you? It's very cold. <laughs> uh, I'm doing okay. It's kind of cold in here. I did have the window open, which uh, probably doesn't help. No. But there we are. Kelly, we gather around this table today to talk about one man. His name is Bob Dylan. Probably some other people too, though. Definitely some other people. Uh, this could be called the Paul Griffin Hour, but we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> I've been listening to Bob Dylan for my entire life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the apartment number of Doña Chotlote, Chotilde. This, <laughs> roughly the same What's number of songs on? as the apartment number of Doña Chotilde in the Mexican sitcom El Chavo del Ocho. Is it and this week, we listen to One of Us Must Know sooner or later. But El Chavo del Ocho, that's just the name of the. But Ocho means eight, right? Yeah. Okay. But that has nothing to do with. Yeah, Doña Chotilde. Chotilde. Sure. Chotilde. I'm not up on the Mexican soap. No, no, I don't know either. Apparently it's still on, and apparently it's on Netflix. So. Okay. No excuse. No, (laughs) literally no excuses. (laughs) All right, Kelly, so we spent the entire week listening to, I think, a pretty classic song uh, off of one of us, off of Blonde on Blonde. This is only our second Blonde on Blonde. That's the other one we did. We listened to Fourth Time Around. Oh, that's from the, that. Which is from that as well. That's I the Beatles think song. that's it, yes. Mm-hmm. So this is our second foray in 71 episodes. What was your feeling on this? We did listen to this and the Cutting Edge um, Bootleg Series Volume 12 uh, the entire making of the song, but just generally, what? How are you feeling? Um, I really enjoy being able to listen to all the versions. It's so cool to just—it's it, fascinating to see how music is produced. So I enjoyed that, and the song's great. It's yeah, has a lot to it, um, and it definitely has that. I guess that's that the thin wild mercury sound or whatever, right? Boom, using the lingo. <laughs> I like it uh, for me. It's just like like a live sound, like True. people are. And they're playing instruments. Yeah, totally. Nice. But it's also just like that feel of the guitar, and it's mm-hmm. definitely that organ that uh, Al Cooper brings. I just think it's like all of those elements. I think it's a combination uh, because that really clean guitar sound, which I've talked about before, it's just a certain type of amp, and they're playing yeah. with almost no effects on it. Um, it. Coupled with instruments that wouldn't traditionally... I feel like the organ in that particular sound, because that sound is so 50s, it's so... True. Um, Buddy Holly kind of flavor to it. So to bring that into what is a more modern sound with like the organ and so much shit going on drum wise and good, like, I don't know, it just sounds yeah. really cool. Well, I think we're, we get tripped up on the organ a lot, um, especially because we're in the middle of band month. And it's weird to think of the organ in this way because the organ is still used, but I feel like it just gets further and further pushed aside. I mean, music did change after this. I mean, it right. became more rock heavy and more guitar heavy. And the bands sort of were like, hey, sorry, the Garths of the world have to go off and like make weird synth music, right. uh, which is probably the reason the 80s happened to begin with. I mean, there's so many synthesizers out in the world, and they're not part of bands anymore, so they have to just make their own music. Yeah. So it's all their fault. <laughs> Basically. So this song itself was recorded in one day. I mean, technically, I guess, too. They probably recorded late at night. But uh, 
January 25th, 1966 in Studio A in New York City. 19 official takes, but there's like 20-something plus tracks on um, the Bootleg Series Volume 12. Uh, this was five days after another song that took 19 takes but never made it onto a record called She's Your Lover Now. That'll be important for later. It'll be important when we actually listen to She's Your Lover Now because these two are definitely best friends. We've had a lot of songs like that this season. Oh, where it's like, Yeah, one. where you just have the other one that's like, we're besties. And once we have the ability to talk about both, they're going to make sense because he lifted some of the lines from She's Your Lover Now and mm-hmm. repurposed them here. And I think it's... I don't know if it's better or not. I really love that song, but we'll get to that later. Um, by the final session, um, Dylan had fired most of his tour band. This is the only song on Blonde on Blonde that was recorded in New York. Everything else was recorded in Nashville. He Sean, Sean Willens wrote a book on the making of Blonde on Blonde, and he noted the discrepancies in crediting who is actually on this song. And I think when you listen to The Cutting Edge, you get shout outs for Robbie Robertson. You get a shout out for Rick. So it's like, you kind of know that they're there, but I think it was taken for granted for a long time that they weren't actually part of it because he's about to go on tour, the famous tour where they go to England and he's playing with the Hawks, but the Hawks don't actually play on this record, which is kind of weird. It's kind of intuitive in a way, but he does go make the record elsewhere without the band. Um, he actually said later on, uh, he told Robert Shelton, who was like the first big biographer, um, the reason why things were going bad. He said it was the band. Um, but of course uh, I didn't know that I didn't want to think that. So he sort of like did all these songs with them and then realized I'm not doing the right thing. So he pivoted, but Sean Willens going back to him. He, uh, he notes quote, one writer's listing for that day's credits, uh, for the day session credits, uh, Michael Bloomfield on guitar, who we're used to and William Lee on bass. Another listing omits Paul Griffin, who also later played on American Pie. Oh. Yeah, weird. Uh, and going back to the quote, the playing and talk on the session on the session tape, though, show conclusively that Rick Danko is the bassist on One of Us Must Know, that Robbie Robertson played guitar, and that Griffin was indeed the pianist. After all these years, Bobby Gregg, Paul Griffin, and Rick Danko, whose names have never appeared on the album's liner notes for LP or CD, deserve their share of the credit for playing on Blonde and Blonde. So... Give them credit, Kelly. Jesus. Oh, sorry, I was withholding for so long. Yes, this was released as a single. Uh, it didn't chart at all in the U.S. It made it to. Uh, it did. It did chart in the U.K. But this was. Uh, this convinced Dylan that singles are not the way to go. Mm. And uh, from here on out, he really doesn't release very many singles. I mean, we listen to "Watching the River Flow," which is pretty unique. Um, George Jackson is another one later, but usually he says that they take away from the making of the album, which is kind of weird to think about this as not really being a part of an album, but it does make it on to Blonde and Blonde, and it definitely informs a lot of what's coming for Blonde and Blonde. This song was played 60 times in his career, from May 19th, 1976 in Wichita to August 13th, 1997 in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, A.J. Weberman, who was one of the first like catalogers of bootlegs and stuff, he did say that this was played in the winter of 66, so after it was recorded in White Plains, New York. But it isn't canon because the guy um, who was taking note of it uh, apparently might have left the concert early and so doesn't know okay. what it is. But BobDylan.com, which we will say is not always the definitive source for Bob Dylan-related material, SOTWPod.com is your best bet. Uh BobDylan.com lists the first playing in 1976, uh, which would have been part of the Rolling Thunder review. Larry Sloman, who we've talked about, he was a chronicler of the Rolling Thunder review, told Bob that he would rather listen to him sing this song than receive a blowjob. Bob Dylan, wants to test that theory, uh, started playing it 
1976. And uh, that's as his marriage was falling apart. And, you know, this song is a pretty mean song uh, in a way. And I think reaching into that deep well of resentment and at that time, misogyny, really kind of just. Although I don't think the song upon first listen, I don't get those feels. But like after after the fact, like him playing that at Rolling Thunder with Sarah and Joan and everyone in the audience. I I, I know why you're playing (laughs) it. All right, Kelly, let's let's actually, uh, before we talk about the song and obviously some of the lyrics and sort of what's going on, um, let's talk about The Cutting Edge. I sure. love listening to this. I love kind of going through how these songs exist. There's like five different takes, full takes of this song. Do you have a preference just like off the bat? Which one, not specifically the take, but like what kind of vibe? Because there's like a waltzy vibe. There's one that's like really close to this one, but it's still just a little slower or... There's yeah. one version where drummer Bobby Gregg is going fucking nuts. I was curious to see that it started out as a much slower song, mm. um, which I think I kind of preferred. The, the first take that we had, that we did, that, that was on our little list that we were listening to, um, is, is very much slower. But you can still kind of, I don't know, It's this, I, this is the whole reason I like listening to these things is because you just have this idea and you keep fucking with it and changing it. And like the lyrics are almost completely different. There's like not a chorus to be heard. Um, And it's just such a different vibe. Um, I like where it ended up, but it's just fascinating to see because Mm -hmm. it, I don't know that I would recognize this as the same song. I mean, some of the musical themes are the same a little bit, a little bit, but it's, yeah, it's, it's very different. Yeah. The first take is just him basically on piano riffing, you know, I'm sorry. I was bad to you. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, take two, um, Bob asks, you know, are, are, are you sure we play at that tempo? That's right, too yeah. fast. Are you sure we played at that tempo? Oh, yeah, that was too fast. What? Rolling on two. That isn't too fast. For me, it's like a waltz. Yeah, I mean, it, it becomes Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands later. That was recorded in February uh, of 66. So I feel like the way that the drums and the open um, hi-hat are reminiscent of that. So he's definitely listening there. And the way that he's singing it is a cadence off of She's Your Lover Now. So like once we get to that, it'll sort of make more sense. So he's like, I think he's he's taking She's Your Lover Now and the failure in his eyes of that song and taking some of it over, which I always find fascinating for him to take lyrics and just the way it's sung and trying to like put it upon a new song is very odd. And then at the very end of that take two, I love, he's just like, I'm ready to go home. Yeah. <laughs> but he's there for another thousand years. I mean, when we listen to Tell Old Bill, he did the same thing. After like two takes, he's yeah. like, all right, guys, no, no, uh, gotta, gotta get done here, gotta go home. And then there's another fucking 14 takes. Uh, take three is just like guitar, trying to find it. Take four, we intro the organ. So the organ wasn't even there mm-hmm. at the beginning. So we get Al Cooper up in that room. Uh, that's when you start to kind of hear Robbie doing his flourishes. We're deep into band month. Robbie Robertson definitely has a way of playing guitar. And it's very, I think, prevalent in this one when you start listening to it. Um, there's the hints of a chorus. Like they do that build up, mm-hmm. but then back into a verse, which is, I mean, very waltzy and like kind of 
get you going and then back to the slow yeah. um so it's it's interesting after like five takes it's all very similar nothing's really changed and it's not until the sixth day that we get the chorus so bob's just working out that chorus um when you first hear sooner or later yeah absolutely and then it's really the rest of it is really him trying to like make that into something i like uh, uh, in the seventh one where he's like Robbie, don't be so specific when you're playing the. What does oh that mean? Oh my god! Yeah, no, actually, that was take nine. But can okay. you? Yeah, he says, "Can you do that, Robbie? Uh, I just don't mean that. Can you do anything there, but not that? I want you to do that, but not so specific." What does that mean? And then at the very end, he says, "I think we got to go quieter, and yeah. then we got to raise it." Which is, I'm glad if it wasn't for that part, this song would not work. If it wasn't for the crescendo going, the crescendo in the going in, and they were already working on that, but I'm glad like that was the moment he's like, "We're doing this," and that's the way it is. This is what's interesting to me too is that Bob asks, "Are you recording it?" And mm-hmm. Bob is like, "I'm recording it all. Yeah. I'm getting everything." And uh, and then at this point, Danko confirmed. Okay. Why don't you record this? I'm getting it all. No, 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 Rick. No, no, wait, wait. No, no. Uh, Take 15 is a complete take. I think it's a great take. I think it's like the culmination of the waltz take. The piano and the organ Mm -hmm. are like on some other level. And what's I think what's really fascinating is that they change up. (laughs) Like Paul Griffin plays a different piano lick on every version of this song. Yes. That they're all, they, they feel minor, but like, they're so fun to listen to, if only for my boy Paul Griffin. He's so good. <laughs> and Al is doing weird stuff too, that he's doing a lot of like, kink, 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 kink type of things. They, it takes away. He doesn't, he doesn't do that in the final version where he's much more of like the soup that everyone's sitting in. That's all oh, I yeah, can think of. Sound. Yeah. It just really underlies everything. The same way like a Rolling Stone, like it doesn't work without the organ. I think the song really needs the organ to work. Yeah, the um, when the take where he's like, "Why are we recording this? No, wait, stop! I don't, never mind. I don't know what we're doing." That particular one is like all blues, all mm-hmm. bass, which is interesting. Yeah, and then the next couple iterations, I don't know what happens between that really like bluesy saloon type version that just makes you want to wait drink whiskey alone and be sad uh and then we go into the one that ends up being where the tempo is completely different so it seems like such a a jump from like what will be the studio version that tempo Mm -hmm. from going to that like bluesy whiskey one to that like what changed because it's interesting to have all this cataloged like but where is that i feel like there's a piece missing Probably. I mean, they do cut in and out. So, like, Bob definitely wasn't getting everything. Bob Johnston wasn't getting everything. Yeah, Yeah. I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, they kept going away from it and then coming back to it. It was Mm -hmm. like exercising like a waltzy demon, you know, like (laughs) like the the waltz kept wanting to like get in. And I think by the end, the waltz is gone. Like there is no waltz in this song. And I think that's what makes it fascinating. But I think Bob sort of had to create it in his head as a waltz. Uh, and we've, and even some of the other ones we've listened to on this, even um, she's your no, nope, uh, even fourth time around started off on that slow mm-hmm. waltzy train before it made it to the wild mercury sound, and maybe that's that's why people couldn't recreate it. They had to start with the waltz. Maybe right. people just didn't start with the waltz. They started with the imitation of it, but you got to work your way to it. Maybe that was the secret. Yeah, the first, the end of the first up tempo one. Bob Johnson says something inspired. Can you play your harmonica into the song? Mm, my yes. God, what? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, and that was really what, what changed it right there forever. 
Um, although I really like the chatter right before um, verse uh, or take 19. Somebody says, how come we never played the same chords? And Bob <laughs> says, I don't know. <laughs> uh, take 19 is another complete one and another like, it's not, again, it's not like original enough to warrant a, a listen over. Yeah, the last the couple ones version. are pretty similar. So. Yeah, but again, Paul Griffin's on some shit. So I think it's worthy of listening to. final takes are kind of just like practicing and even bob is like it's not right up to the final take like he's still saying it's not right so i kind of find it amazing that after he says that it's done they just they do it i do think take 23 though the one right before the the final one the the last complete which makes it onto the record bobby Gregg is going nuts on the drums oh yeah like he's not doing the awesome fill the fill is really important for this song yeah that rolling march but like he the... throughout the course is just <laughs> i mean he's doing stuff that like we would that's like music today like i was feeling that vibe i really wanted that and i'm glad it didn't make it to the end i guess but it's punk as shit man bobby craig <laughs> fucking getting it and then take 24 which is our song so i mean let's we can kind of get into it uh, even though it's a, a little different because it's not as polished uh, I just got to say Paul Griffin's a monster. Al Cooper kills it. Uh, Griffin, uh, his piano has been described as, quote, half Gershwin, half gospel, all heart. Um, Al Cooper said of him, quote, the piano playing on One of Us Must Know is quite magnificent. It influenced me enormously as a pianist. It's probably Paul Griffin's finest moment. I mean, it's incredible how it's never the same. But I'll say again for the millionth time, it's just a testament to them being great musicians. Even Bob, like... Even Bob is if he's awful. Yeah. <laughs> usually. Um, during one of the takes, uh, or over a couple of them, he's like, I can't sing that high. That's an A. What the hell were we ever singing? Who sings an A? Yeah. You know, like, just great, like the the musical lexicon yeah. that you can lean back on when you really know what the fuck you're doing and you've been doing it for a while. They do reference the G's and like, no, mm-hmm. it's F sharp. And... We were playing an F. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like to, to say those small things and then to know, oh, I know what you're saying now. And the, the piano is the biggest example because it's like, okay, I know. He even says at one point, like, no, that's modal, which is like a type mm-hmm. of scale in between scales. It's like a, a feel, like a vibe to music where it has a structure of notes you could play within. But it's not necessarily like this is the B flat scale and blah right. blah. So um, the the piano, what's his name? Griffin. Paul Griffin. Yeah. He like he knows the lines that he needs to be in. So he's like, I can do literally anything. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, and he does. Yeah. It never repeats. It's just really really cool, and yeah. it sounds perfect every time. Yeah. Um, I I did notice that because um, there's a couple of master tracks for the the uh, instruments individually, so that they can obviously play with that when they're mastering the final mix. Um, and you can really hear how out of tune the one guitar is, the lead guitar, um, which is was a problem on another track that was oh, yeah. famous of his. I think it's Rolling Stone. Oh yeah, which this song actually reminds me a lot of, especially mm-hmm. the way it starts, where it like kicks off. Yep. Um, yeah, I was like, oh my god, the fucking guitar is out of tune. It's flat. So during the master, like I noticed it kind of during the song. There's just that, the same feeling I had with Rolling Stone. I was like something feels a little wrong. Yeah. Um, and so when the master track, I was like, oh, my God, with the piano, I was like, oh, God, that guy's so flat. What is happening? <laughs> stylistic it choices. Stylistic funny. choices. It sounds amazing. Yeah. 
So this song itself, uh, we'll get to in a moment, but um, a couple interpretations you'll see online talking about it are pretty interesting. I don't. I, I think this is much more of a very straightforward personal song, you know, telling a very specific story. Yes. But a lot of people want to make this bigger than it is. No Jesus, didn't see any Jesus what? in here. I know, crazy. But uh, like verse two, when he sings, uh, I couldn't see what you could show me. Your scarf kept your mouth well hid. I couldn't see how you knew me, but you said you knew me and I believed you did was like him turning on folk music, of course, because he's just writing about meta moments in his life. Oh, really? And then verse three is an address to his fans, the one that goes, I couldn't see where you were going, but you said you knew and I took your word. And then as you told me later, as I apologized that you were just kidding me, you weren't really from the farm. And you told me as you clawed out my eyes that I never really meant to do you any harm. So it's almost like the fans are holding him back, you know, lying to him. I don't know. The whole farm thing is interesting because like Maggie's Farm is a song that he has and the farm we've listened to like Parchman's Farm and things like that for Outlaw Blues and you know it's it's interesting. That's an interesting line in general but I don't really subscribe to any of that stuff. Um, my take is that the the song is just about a relationship and about loss and about um, kind of Bob Dylan is a mean he's a meanie in this one. Mm. And he really looks down on this person for whatever reason and is not very content with uh, the memories of their relationships together. It kind of like he I feel like it's some one of those situations where you're like when you think about a person, you're like, oh, I really like them. And then when you see them in person, you're like, mm, I know exactly why we're not together anymore. I get it. And She's Your Lover Now is very much that song. It's sort of the entire chorus of the song. Head and a harpoon and a fake beard rested on her brow. You better do something quick. She's your lover now. The end chorus or the end line is always like, um, you better go to her. She's your lover now. You know, that kind of thing. So there's definitely some some meanness to it. People say that it's just a nicer version of like a Rolling Stone. And like a Rolling Stone's a very mean song. I mean, it's really degrading to the person on the other end of it. So I don't know what you thought about that or for better or worse now that I know a few more of the players, I like instantly ascribe this to uh Suze Rotolo, um Ooh, possibly okay. Susan Joan kind of playing off each other, which is what he was describing, because this is 66. So this record was written right after he got married to Sarah. So most of these songs are, we're going back to Sarah. No, no, no. See, I take issue with that, because as I discovered, uh, he never fucking got over to you. So I don't care who he's with, he's still writing songs about her. Fair enough. I mean, I'm sure at some point, at least. You'd also, you did uh, do a bio on Sarah. We don't want to like throw Sarah. Oh, no, no, I know. But for me, this song is about uh, Suze and Joan and him telling hey look i'm sorry that i was with her but it is what it is like it happened you know what happened i know what happened there's especially a couple of lines in there that kind of allude to it like you were just going for a fall or whatever is that not actually in the studio version he says it a bunch in the no fall i mean a farm part oh no there's a definitely during the cutting edge ones he says you're only going for a fall something like that is it not not about the farm at all oh Mm. man i wonder what happened wow anyway So I guess that's not in the studio version, so no, never mind. But it's okay. That's all that's canon. So like when she left, like you were only gone for this song or whatever. Oh, okay. Like, I don't know. I definitely, that's what I thought the song was about. It was about. Um, Bringing some boots back in this. Exactly. 
uh, yeah. And this would have been years home. after. So this has been five. I know he never gets over Seuss. He's still yeah. singing about Seuss, but it is five years after, and he is with Sarah, who, who I mean, uh, Joan would say came out of nowhere. The whole thing just happened without anybody ever knowing her, anybody ever knowing anything about it. It just. Then maybe it's about happens. Joan. Maybe it's about no one. Maybe it's about no one. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I I think I think it's just that, you know. But the, but it is kind of mean when you're. I guess the young part is the thing. Like there is this moral high ground that Bob is on. Oh yeah. Where everything he sees is like, well, you're just just I, a kid. You don't yeah. Know. And a lot of people uh, that I didn't realize, but um, the line that says I didn't realize how young you were. Um, People heard that as I didn't realize how in love you were, which hmm. does change the a little bit of the tone. It's better. It's less patronizing. True. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you're in love. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of you're just young. You don't know any you better. You don't know anything. Yeah. Exactly. So, but like, I love that whole, like when you whispered in my ear and asked me if I was living, if I was leaving with you or her, um, I didn't realize just what I did here. I didn't realize how young you were. It's all the, it's, it's like the best of bob dylan's writing they're like these very intimate small compact verses that like tell a whole story i love that like when you whispered in my ear it's fantastic um i really love this and i don't think it's any more mean than like a rolling stone i don't think it's any more mean than like don't think twice it's all right which is a song from earlier in his career but like it's it's before boots you know boots is a much more understanding song but i would also say that the chorus of this you know sooner or later one of us must know is sort of apologetic it's kind of saying we're both gonna know this one day maybe i just was the first one to know it yeah i never took it as i didn't take it as mean i never listened to it that way because it's describing events of a person who's shitty but the song itself just seems kind of factual to me like i was mean i treated you poorly like i get it now it's for me it was self-reflective and growth it wasn't like i agree mean-spirited but um. yeah because you're sort of looking back and saying man I, I really clawed out your eyes i really and a lot of people like get on that clawing out your eyes business and they want to go to murder bob it's like oh, murder no. bob is not here yet there is no, nothing like that but it's not like a it's not even a physical clawing out the eyes it's not even it's not even like a physical anything it's it's really talking about it's all metaphors baby it's all just that and i think the violence that sort of injects itself right there is jarring but i think in a great way i think it makes you really stop and be like wow what was going on and i think anybody who's been in a tumultuous relationship of any kind understands these vibes either being the person who is basically being told that you're like i didn't really care that much about you Mm -hmm. or being the one who didn't end up caring that much about the person they were with to begin with well i think the violence is also instantly tempered by the chorus of like one of us should have known better basically like we let this drag on way too long true yeah and that's and we haven't had a song like that from bob in a while and i like i like the bob that's like i don't know like opens certainly um it's from his point of view we don't really hear the other side in Mm -hmm. this song the way that you will with something like idiot win later where two people are broken but we don't know about this other person so we can only inject what we think and I, i don't know bob's not always the most reliable of narrators if we're thinking about it in a Bob Dylan context. So I think it's hard to say Sarah, Joan, whoever the fuck it could be. But I think in terms of storytelling, it's top notch. The song is incredible. The way they get to the song is fascinating. And I like that even though Bob Dylan changed all the lyrics around, um, he did, he did settle on something pretty early and he kind of like forced it through. 
and we know that Bob hates the studio. So the fact that he got through this and it wasn't just She's Your Lover Now Part 2, another lost gem that never really got finished, is great. Because this would have been one of those great songs if it never was on Blonde on Blonde. And this would have been a crazy one to find. Just like She's Your Lover Now is a great one to find. Because mm-hmm. it's not part of the official canon, if you will. So, uh, The one last thing I want to say about the song is that I found it interesting vocally that he held so many notes. Like there was one in each verse, which he doesn't usually do. And it didn't sound awful. Like sometimes he'll go for it and it sounds terrible, but he actually, he did okay. I think him, I think that the sensualness of those elongated lines are incredible. I like, I don't know if there's another moment in Bob Dylan's entire thing where he can hold out a a, a line like that. Mm -hmm. And it just sounds so good. I mean, I'm definitely a Bob Dylan partisan, of course, but I think his vocals are, are top-notch. I think the music is better than, you know, so many other of, of the bands. And it's really fun doing the band month that we can talk about. We know who Rick Danko is, and we know who Robbie Robertson is. But let's not talk about the band. If you are <laughs> interested in the band, though, Kelly, you can go to our website, SOTWpod.com. Go to our Twitter. Go to our SoundCloud. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> And you can go listen to Band Month. So all of it should be released by now. So you can go listen to your heart's content. Uh, we talk about all their albums and, and, and live stuff and just kind of dive deep into it. Uh, so it's really cool to have a, a band song with the Band Month. Kelly, any final thoughts on Sooner or Later, One of Us Must Know? <laughs> um, one of the things I like about this song, as I mentioned, is just the live feeling of it. Um they make a lot of mistakes and I love that they keep that in because it's so inconsistent <laughs> but it somehow sounds great and that's again the musicianship of might not be 100% right but at least it sounds okay yeah. I don't know it, that's that sounds more damning than I meant it but, but Bob knows the value of the live take yeah. and not and when he forgot it it was for disastrous consequences so yeah because it, consistency is not necessarily the most important thing um, no, if it Especially if you break it apart to individual instruments, like it's okay that that chord wasn't right or that whatever, as long as the song keeps moving and everyone's on the same page. I don't know. I don't think people think like that anymore. Like I listen to a lot of music that's really, really overly produced. Oh yeah, no, that doesn't even and, exist anymore. Um, yeah, doing stuff in rooms, mm-hmm. um, and it, you can tell when they're in rooms. And and sometimes I think it's just the, the sort of the genre of music too, like. Um, you know, what's her name? Nicole Atkins. Nicole Atkins, exactly. Mm-hmm. We talked long about that record because it was a lot of fun. And you could tell right away there's people sitting in a room. And they let the room linger. They let intro start where people are picking up their instruments and, like, going. Yeah. And that's that. I don't know how people don't make that choice more often. It's harder. It is harder. And, uh, and a lot of people probably, I, I just don't know, I guess. You know, and if you don't have like a full-time band or something that you're playing with and you're just writing these songs and then you're going out and like recording them in bits and pieces. Right. It's hard. It's hard to do. I mean, listening to The Cutting Edge, I was like, shit, I wouldn't be able to play. The, how many times they played it and like, talk, I know I just said they were inconsistent, but like you're getting it there every time every consistently time. enough. Like, I was, no, I I mess around in the computer a little bit. I'm like, okay, here's the four notes that I did right. Yeah. So I'm just going to loop the shit out of that. Oh, it's yeah. like. Man, that's how you know you're not a musician. Go listen. If you think you're okay with your fucking Fruity Loops and you're digging around and you're yeah. doing your stuff, go listen to something like The Cutting Edge. Like, oh, yeah, no, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I never will. <laughs> you put me in a room with Bob Dylan, uh, I'll be just completely swallowed I'll just keep hitting the same key on the piano. And you'll be asked nicely to leave the fucking studio. It's true. Yeah. I think that is very 
uh, you can't. And and even if they're just session musicians, obviously plays on American Pie and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. it is incredible. And I don't think session musicians musicians get their due enough because uh, they truly build these worlds that uh, great artists get to play around in. Oh, and like, I mean, like, not more talented, but you have to be talented enough to plug and play anywhere. Oh, my God, yes. Versus people that play together a lot. They know kind of what the sound they want already. They mm-hmm. have general ideas, and they're forming the, the songs together. To have someone just drop in and be mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, no, so we're doing it in this key, and, uh, okay, it's kind of like this time. All right, I got it. Yeah. What the fuck? We're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe right. that's where we started in Waltz, and we slowly work our way outward. Yeah. We'll never know. But we have lots of songs to listen to. So we will get to the, the end of the cutting edge and we'll find out the secrets to how to make a great Wild Mercury sound. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Yes. Surely we'll only take another 10 years to figure that out. All right, Kelly, we were also real people in the world. Before we talk about the things we're going to recommend to you guys out there listening, we also do a playlist every single episode. You can find every single playlist that we do at our website, SOTWpod.com, on Twitter, SoundCloud, all of those places. Or you can go to Spotify and search for See That My Playlist Is Kept Clean. That's not I was going to say not kept clean. That would be weird. <laughs> uh, go check out See That My Playlist Is Kept Clean. This week we did a playlist based on sooner or later one of us must know. Weird. And it was uh it was fantastic. I thought this was uh we had a rough patch a couple weeks ago and we have we've severely turned it around. Uh this yeah. one was was fabulous. <laughs> Welcome back to the playlist Bomb the Music Industry. I was going to put that one on there but then yeah, Catalaka. Uh Corey Tucker. showing up all the time now and they're fantastic. <laughs> uh Corey Brannon is back, The Smiths and Old Crow Medicine Show, who did a whole cover album such a of great that was a good version. Version, yeah. I like that. They're really fantastic. And welcome to the playlist, a bunch of newbies. Uh, Sohio, I loved that song. Elliot Smith, Joan Osborne, of course, we had to do that one. Dillinger Escape Plan, Slow Dive, Mister Rogers, uh, <laughs> uh, Natalie Prass, the Shangri Las, who we did talk about once on our supplemental talking about theme time. We did. Uh, La Salami, the Grassroots, and Fastwall out of nowhere. Hell yeah! Fantastic to listen to Fastwall again after all those years. I mean, what is there one song paved with gold and it? That's Fastwall. That's Fastwall. Yeah. Like the way. You can see the road that they walk on is paved. That's Fastwall. I think so. I don't think so. I thought fastball was. Oh, maybe it is. Uh, I think it is. I don't know. Now I have to know. Oh, it is. I'm not good. So good. Yeah. But yeah, that fastball song. I was minding my own business and I was like instantly sucked into a 90s teen movie. I was like, what just fucking happened? Oh, yeah. And I don't think we've had slow dive on the playlist before either. The classic late 80s, early 90s shoe case. And they came back for that new record after 17 years or something. So. Yeah, great, great record. And even the Dillinger Escape Plan, I was nervous about putting it on there because they're obviously a very hard band. But yeah, that song was really... I didn't realize. I was like, isn't this the, that punk hardcore band or whatever oh, Daniel always talks about? I was like, punk. what is this? Going crazy, yeah. It was really nice. Though. Yeah, it was, it was a nice a nice flow. And I think the flow of this was really great. Uh, so uh, go listen to our playlist uh, at SOTWpod.com. 
Kelly, we were also people in the world, of course, and we have recommendations for you. What were you doing this week as we listened to Sooner or Later, One of Us Must Know? Listening to a lot of the band, so that was tough, but uh, to kind of <laughs> cleanse my palate a little bit. Uh, I didn't listen to Bjork's album last year, Utopia. Um, Spotify took a while to get Volnacura, so I kind of listened to that for a while and then forgot about Utopia. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's Bjork. It's a lot slower. The The first track, uh, Arisen My Senses, is the, definitely the best one. It's the most up-tempo, has a lot more energy to it, and the rest of them are pretty flowy and um, out there, which is the stuff I like of hers the best, but I prefer a little more energy. A little. Uh, the, mm. Most of the album is produced with a guy named Arca, who is um, from Caracas, but works out of Brooklyn, and I checked on his stuff a little bit. It's not really, not really for me, but um, yeah, Bjork, I fucking... Something about people, music from Iceland. I don't know. It just, like, really draws me in. I love Sigurosa shit. And New York and just, like, I don't know. It just mentally grabs me. I'm like, I, will, I, I feel this on a weird level. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And I, I don't I, feel that on a, on a sensible like, level. It just, gets in my skin. It's great. Uh, I listen to Bad Cop, Bad Cop. Warriors. I was going to recommend Bad Cop, Bad Cop. Yeah. Because I couldn't stop listening to them. Yeah. I don't know why you were listening to them. Well, because you've mentioned them a bunch okay. of times. And that song, The Woman Christ, or what is it? Woman Archist. Woman Archist, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's so great. And That's amazing. Their first album is okay. Um, mm-hmm. I like it, but it just definitely doesn't have. This is the post Trump album, and it, yes. like, it really is something that you need. It's like good feminist yep. punk rock. Retrograde to Woman Archist yeah. to. It's all great. Oh, what is it? Why change a thing? Yeah, looks so good on you. Yeah, it's fun. Great. Victoria is great. Amputations. They Victoria. There's a there's a music video for it out there. Uh, Amputations. They literally just came out with a video, a live video. For So I did not actually, I'd heard of them. I did not know of them. I don't really listen to like fat records as like a, you know, every new fat it's records so no head effects, is going to be. You can really hear oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and even they're fantastic. They're so good. Um, the reason why I started re-listening to them again and again, I've listened to that record probably like seven or eight times, is that they're really good at social media. Like I'm oh, really? sitting there on Instagram, Insta stories pop up and they, they went on tour with Frank Turner and the Sleeping Souls across the entire United States and those shows were huge. Hmm. So it's really cool that they're getting on these really enormous stages because Frank Turner is huge. Um, but their Instagram, they would just like regram everybody taking their videos, you know, and posting it to their stories. You can just easily do that now. Cool. So it's really cool that like they can just pop on 10 stories a night and you can just watch them play their songs just from all over the crowd. It's re- it's really fun. And uh, just seeing their lives, they're very person they seem like really cool people like you'd want to hang out with um so they're fantastic oh and i saw cameron esposito last night she's oh. on tour her uh person of consequence tour and she's great uh she also had a opener from portland caitlin something i can't remember her name but uh it was great as per usual this is the second time i've seen her at rev hall again mm. um, I know. everything's good. at rev hall 
I'm gonna, I forgot I'm going to see MC Lars and MC Front a lot tomorrow night. Oh, my <laughs> I completely God. completely forgot because I bought the tickets like two months ago. Well, I so. hope from the future when our listeners are listening that it went well. Yes. <laughs> they, they wish you well on, on this endeavor. Uh, I, as well, listen to Back Up, Back Up, as I've already said. Um, but I also I want to recommend something we didn't talk about last week. Uh, Quiplash. If you have if you have friends if you have friends you can play this game it's so much fun um, I was incredibly skeptical about getting it uh, or about anybody paying any money after we spent the whole day hanging out uh, but we had friends coming in from Germany and just friends we don't get to see that often we all just got in a room put on this quiplash thing and it is like um, cards against humanity mixed with you don't know Jack just very fun but everybody gets on their phones you get on your phone you type in your answers Mm -hmm. they appear on the screen it's seamless so if you're ever looking for a fun party thing everybody's got phones yeah i mean the worst part about cards against humanity especially if you played it a couple times is that the like you get really hemmed in because you only have so many answers you can pick from and this is just like here's a prompt make up whatever you want to answer and then it's just really good and then if you have good people playing and every and everybody's sort of drawn in i I find myself getting detached from cards against humanities for that very reason i'm like and you always have the people that just kind of wander away from the board you can't really go anywhere with this oh that's the biggest thing it's timed it's timed. so with cards against humanity where people can like hem and haw and kind of pick and you're catering your answers to who it's the one picking the answers because you know what like their temperament is Mm -hmm. but this is it's two random people of the group of people you're playing with are going to put head to head their answers, but you don't know who it is yeah. until after they, it's just like, that's amazing. Know, and you go. start to get the memes and we create yeah, hot soup was a meme for us. <laughs> uh, Gilbert Ruffle was a, was a meme <laughs> for me and it just, they keep showing up and it's very funny and it's hard to talk about cause it's all just very personal to that night. Right. But if you have friends out there that like playing games, I highly recommend it for Xbox, all those kinds of like things. Bucks, and also they have achievements and we got an achievement for picking. Apparently if you pick, the right um, answer. There are no right answers because it's just fucking random. You put whatever you want. Uh, if you pick the right answer, horny, horny hippos. That's right, what it was. The, the blank, the prompt you, was like blank, blank hippos. Blank, blank hippos. And you just put whatever you want, but somebody Someone picked put horny, 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 and that was what the game predicted you would pick. And, and so you got an achievement. And we had one person watching with us. And if you're That's an right. audience member, you can just vote. I find it fascinating. I cannot understand it. And also, I just want to recommend something that I haven't watched in years. Called Real Sports on HBO. Oh shit! And I <laughs> with Brian I, Gumbel. With Brian Gumbel, I cry to every single episode. It is just basically like, do you want to cry? Is it crying time? Everything <laughs> is so inspirational. They always have that one story about the guy who's blind, but he's he's doing programs to like have kids climb rock mountains and stuff like that, and he's trying to kayak down the um, down the um, Colorado River in the Grand Canyon uh, that kills people, and he's doing it blind. You just have these inspirational stories. It's amazing. It's amazing. And there's shade that they throw on the NFL and the NCAA and just like their positions on things that athletes should be paid for their work and fuck owners and fuck the power structures, fuck the national anthems being played. I highly respect it. So, <laughs> yeah, so definitely, definitely recommend that if you have HBO. Just it's it. You don't even need to know sports to love it. It, it really talks about power and um, and the structures of our societies more than, you know, anything about what's going on in these leagues or anything like that. Also, you learn about crazy stuff like camel racing in other parts of the world, but it's like not just camel racing. It's child slaves that ride on the camels and sort of how that got taken down because of real sports. Like they did an expose of it and then they changed the world. I mean, these kids are no longer being now. They're just little robots. 
on top of the camels that just what? that just whipped the camel or whatever, just like pat it on the ass or whatever. And then the camels race and they just drive next to it and they, it's we I don't understand. I don't get it. But it's amazing. Hey. All right, Kelly, best part of the episode is over because the best part of the episode is the episode, guys. Uh, uh, but this is the part of the episode that we pick next week's episode. Remember, we're only going to 75 for season two. So season two is almost over. This was episode 71. Next week is going to be episode 72. Kelly, we are down to 439 songs. One out of 439. What you got? Is this going to come out on Halloween or do we already miss the Halloween one? Ooh, good question. It doesn't, I guess it doesn't matter. You can just put the Halloween song on there and it'll be fine. Oh, God, that's right. Yeah, I'm not making another one. I no, I forgot all about it. I'm glad you even reminded me. Yeah. Okay, I will do that. We'll say that at the end. We'll just say something at the end. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll just say it right now. Of the episode. I, know, I know. I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, we forgot. Yeah. One. Ooh. <laughs> That'll be good. That'll be good. So, Kelly, as we just heard, it's Halloween. Ooh. Spooky. Spooky. And if you're listening to this in like December, you know, it'll be Halloween again. I'm sure of it. If the hellscape doesn't come down on us, consume us all. Kelly, we're down to 439 songs. 439 spooky <laughs> terrifying songs. terrifying <laughs> songs let's pick a scary one for next week what you got i have to say like the count now 321 321 that is a new guess from you yes i appreciate that i think i don't know Ooh, we could have gotten a, a nice uh, religious song ye shall be changed just in the spirit of halloween right <laughs> in the spirit of halloween <laughs> no the answer is uh, 81 so you were quite off, but that's okay. No big deal. <laughs> 81. You ready to go back to Desire? Sure. Go back to Scarlet? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Go back to a fantastic song that we have heard, actually, on the Bootleg Series Volume 5. Isis, oh, Isis, oh, yeah. oh mystical child. What drives me to you is what drives me insane. Still can't remember. The day that she smiled <laughs> on the 5th day of May. We should have done this on the 5th day of May. Whoops. Next week, we're going to do ISIS episode 72. I will see you next week. And if you want to listen to us more, band month is currently going on. So if band month is over, like I said, if, if you're listening to this in December, you've missed it. You've missed <laughs> Halloween. You've missed band month. So go back and check it out. Kelly, I'll see you next week. Okay, bye. Anyone could see the road that they walk.